0: I am Debbie Manning for those of you who do not know me. And you may be surprised because, oh, this sounds a little tinny or something. You may be surprised because you got a text today saying, um, come to the table tonight and hear from Matt Moberg. Well, I heard from Matt Moberg two hours ago, who told me he's sick. <laughs> so you got me. But um, poor Matt is um, sitting in a house with a lot of, awful lot of vomiting going on. And so we'll be praying for him and his family and all those little people, and we know how hard that is. Um, The good news is uh, I had to preach at CPC last night for Rich Fino, someone I work with, pastor I work with over there, because he had a wedding. So I got a message. I just had to tweak it. So that made me happy. So we'll see, and you guys can uh, hold me to this, how well I tie it to this theme of epiphany. I'm going to do it right at the end. Could be a stretch, but we're going to make it work. But I do think part of this message that we preached about at CPC this weekend that I think is a great message for all of us. It certainly has been a great one for me. It's a message about right living, and it's a message about relationship. And I was thinking about how in the new year, it's often a time, I know, for me to spend some time in reflection and self-examination. And I think the message tonight... Where I hope will go is it'll point us right to that. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. If you guys remember last spring we spent some time in the Beatitudes, which is that whole chunk of you are blessed um, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to be there. We're going to be a little further in from that. And one of the things I love about the Sermon on the Mount is that we, we get a glimpse of the kingdom of God. And this idea that the kingdom of God is about righteousness. And to Jesus, righteousness is about being in right relationship with God and right relationship with one another. And it's out of that relationship that bears the fruit of right actions, not the other way around. Because sometimes I think we tend to live like that, right? And right before the passage that we're going to get into tonight, Matthew tells us, That Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And what's happening is Jesus is raising the bar. He's asking us to go further, to go deeper than this law of, this Mosaic law, Moses' law that um, the Jewish culture followed at the time. So in the passage, it's not about this new list of rules, but it's the intention behind him. And a lot of the scholars call this the hard sayings of Jesus. But when Jesus started to unpack all this, really what he got to and what he stressed was that it's not so much about our actions, although those are important, but it's about our heart and the heart behind those actions. It's about not checking the right boxes, but where our heart is in relationship to God and one another. And those things have to go together, and we'll see that in this passage. One of the things I thought of was the story about my girls, Um, and of course, my poor family is always the illustration. When I asked my daughter Annie permission yesterday if I could use this story, my husband Steve was in the background, and he said, well, welcome to the club of sermon illustrations for people with bad behavior, and I've been a member for 10 years. (laughs) So um, thanks to my family, who's always willing to, to be an illustration, but It really does get to the heart of this passage, and I think the heart of what Jesus is saying. So Annie and Kate, we can flip that picture up, Patty. There they are as little girls, and I picked that picture because it really reflects who they are and their relationship. So Annie, we would consider her our little driver, our little go-getter. Look at how proud she is holding that fish, and there's Kate. She's so happy for Annie. She just couldn't be happier, and that was part of their relationship growing up you know, Kate was just cheering Annie on and so happy. And Annie was our kid, never got in trouble ever because she was a rule follower. She checked all those boxes. She did all the right things. But what Steve and I were challenged with, with parenting at a few moments in those earlier years, was helping her understand that the heart behind it was important because there were a handful of times that Kate would come home with the success and we would all cheer on and affirm her. And this would be Annie's response. Good job, Kate. I mean, that was it. Like, yeah, good job. And so for us to help her get to the heart behind that was so important because guess what? That didn't mean anything. That wasn't enough. That didn't go far enough. And that's what Jesus is saying when he talks about the Mosaic Law. So we're in the book of Matthew and it's important to understand that the Jewish culture at the time uh, saw the Mosaic law, those laws of Moses, as, as the right path, as the path to get to right living. But here's how they saw it, as interpreted by the Pharisees and leaders of other sects of the day. And here's where Matthew makes the switch. Matthew says, yes, the Mosaic law, that is the path to righteousness, but is interpreted by Jesus. And that changed everything in the understanding. And that's what brought this sort of new age and this new way of life. Because here's the thing. Jesus gets to the deeper meaning and also the implications of it. It was tough for Jesus because so many people had held that, that sort of interpretive tradition of the day that that was also used to get around the plain meaning of the text. And Jesus changed that for us. I think one of the cool literary pieces of this is right at this moment in the text, there's these six antitheses, I don't know if that's the right way to say that, that start with, you have heard it said, but I say to you, and this is Jesus speaking, but I say to you. And the first one of these The antithesis in our passage today literally starts with a matter of life and death because Jesus begins with a commandment, and the commandment is this. You shall not kill. But he doesn't leave it there. That's not where he stops. He goes further. And it's here, following the Beatitudes, that we get this very straightforward teaching from Jesus. And I think that's part of the reason that a lot of people say this is hard to preach on, even because it is straightforward. There's not a lot of getting around it. But he takes these familiar teachings from the Jewish tradition, he brings it together, he bridges it with his own ministry, and he instructs his disciples on the demands of leading a, follow- a Je- or living a Jesus-following life. So here we are. Follow along if you want. It'll be up on the screen. I am in the ESV translation of Matthew 5:21 through 26. Those are strong words. Those are very direct instructions on the call of following Jesus. But what Jesus is speaking to is this idea that what goes on on the inside is just as important as what goes on on the outside. And it's not enough to check the box. It's not enough to say, hey, I'm good. I haven't killed anyone. He's saying, absolutely not. What matters are your thoughts your emotions, your heart, all of those things. There is a Scottish theologian and scholar that says this about this passage, and I think it sums it up so beautifully, the intent, the meaning. I'm going to just put this up a tiny bit. I've got a lot of things going on here. Um, his name is William Barclay, and this is what he says. All these gradations of punishment are not to be taken literally, What Jesus is saying here is this. In the old days, men condemned murder, and truly murder is forever wrong. But I tell you that not only are a person's outward actions under judgment, the inmost thoughts are also under the scrutiny and the judgment of God. Long-lasting anger is bad, contemptuous speaking is worse, and the careless or the malicious talk which destroys someone's good name is worst of all. The one who is the slave of anger, the one who speaks in the accent of contempt, the one who destroys another's good name may never have committed a murder in action, but that one is a murderer at heart. Those are strong words. It's a strong truth that I have to imagine as convicting of everyone here. I mean, it certainly is convicting of me cuz I have used words out of anger that I regret and I imagine for most of us we've experienced that and before you say hey wait a second (laughs) this isn't quite the Jesus I signed up for because we talk a lot about grace and love and all these things and one of the things I thought about a lot this past week was this idea of the tension that we live in, right? Because, yes, it is not about following the law and checking a box. That is not fully the life of faith. And it also isn't, hey, I said the prayer, I've accepted Jesus, I'm good to go. neither one alone is, hey, I got this, I'm good. But it really is this idea that we land somewhere in the middle of there from the standpoint of it's about giving our heart to Jesus, the Spirit working, us transforming and growing into the likeness of Christ over a lifetime. It's a journey of moving toward Jesus, of moving toward righteous living. And I think that's why this is hard to preach on. We've never arrived, friends. We, we will never arrive in this lifetime. But gosh, we can sure move toward it with the help of God and the help of one another. So what's the main point of the whole passage the whole point is we go far beyond this commitment not to kill anyone, but we go to a place of making sure that our anger doesn't cause damage. We, are, we all will be angry, right? God was angry. God was angry with the Israelites. Jesus was angry. He turned over some tables. It's not about whether you're angry or not. It's how you handle your anger. It's the heart behind the anger. It's about is this the kind of anger that causes pain? and causes damage, and that it harms people. That's what Jesus is talking about, and that's why he takes it so seriously. Because obviously murder isn't the only outcome of anger, right? Certainly there's a lot of other physical things that happen out of anger that are horrible, you know, abuse and, and things like that. But angry words, they can wound our soul. That's something we carry with us, and it can change even our perception of how beloved we are. You know, I was lucky enough to grow up in a home that we weren't allowed to name call because I've heard stories from people and I've seen the pain that it's, it's co- it has caused them. But in my household over the years and even as an adult, um, there were things that have been said that come out sideways that I know for me have been deeply painful, things that I've hung on to. And it's ended up, putting distance in our relationship and I think that's what God's talking about is we don't deal with some of this hurt and the anger and it smolders that we end up breaking relationship and that is what God is warning us against here because we have all been hurt by words and I'm going to guess that we have all used words to hurt others and those are hard realities to take in Those are hard things to own, but it is what Jesus calls us to do. And what he says is, watch it. This is dangerous. And he goes on to say that, first of all, there's these deliberate insults. The original word in Aramaic is raka, and that means roughly worthless one, idiot, um, empty-headed. And it's this kind of name-calling that causes damage, that delivers pain, that breaks relationship. And that's why he comes down so hard on it. And then he goes on to say that it's not simply these mean-spirited words that there will be consequences for, but there's an insult that you can give to other people that will actually damage their character. And I'm wondering if those are things that don't happen in all of our lives in a much more subtle way. You know, if I'm in a conversation with a colleague and I say, oh, my gosh, I just can't trust him. He is so untrustworthy. And someone happens to pass by and hears that. They take that with them. That becomes their truth. And they might pass it on to someone else. And that becomes damaging to that person's character. And Jesus is saying that those kind of insults, those insults that do damage to someone's good name, those are the worst of all. And that's where he's talking about that word fool. Because back in his time, in those days, a fool was a brand that, a fool was something that you called people and it branded them as someone who uh, was immoral, who lived loosely. And it was something that slandered people's good name. And so the message here is this, unchecked anger unresolved anger lingering anger whether it comes out directly in the insults or subtly you know it's interesting that those you know when we talk about someone they call it stabbing someone in the back those are all things that are destructive to community i think there's another point in this message too though you guys it's it's that jesus is saying every person is of value and that part of our call as a follower of jesus is to value every person and that What's required of us is to do even far more than not harming someone physically or with our words, but is to actually be for the other, is to stand up for people, to affirm their worth. And I think that's part of what we try to do as this community in this community as well. Here's the beauty, Jesus connects the dots for us from outward acts to this internal orientation. He goes from murder to anger and so that it's not only our behaviors that matter but our attitudes and our emotions as well. So that's sort of the what of the message, right? But why, why does it matter? Because Jesus tells us right here, if, you aren't offering, if you're up there offering your gifts and you're not right with your brother or sister, forget it. It's important because if, if we're not, if we are treating people like this, if we are using our words to hurt and damage, Jesus is saying you can't be in right relationship with God if you're not in right relationship with one another. And there's no getting around that. There's no getting around that. And the call in this passage is that we are to work toward that. We are to step into that. And he says clearly, First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So we can't even worship well until we have stepped redemptively into that broken relationship as we have stepped toward one another. And Jesus, in a way, it's a hopeful thing. He's giving us an alternative to acting in anger. He says, seek reconciliation. We have a choice to work toward restoration. Restoration. Now, all that's good, and I'm imagining that we're all thinking of someone right now that maybe we have a broken relationship with or harboring some hurt or anger, whether it's kind of a smoldering anger or some real anger. I think that's true of all of our lives in different seasons. But I think think the message is clear and the why it's important is clear, but I think sometimes the how is a heck of a lot harder to do. The actual how, because the actual how takes this relationship with God and the courage we get from that to step into hard things. But the more we step into those hard conversations with honesty and truth and love, the freer we are to live a righteous life. And that becomes a beautiful thing. And I think when we start, there's those things we talk about all the time, right? Self-awareness. Some honest self-awareness of saying, gosh, who are those people that I might have hurt or I'm feeling hurt by or angry with and what are my pieces to own in that? And I'm going to step up despite the circumstances and I'm going to initiate reconciliation. I'm going to initiate a conversation. I'm going to own my pieces. I'm going to be committed to a loving and honest conversation and you know what? Sometimes those are the hardest ones to have but they move us forward into what Jesus is calling us and We lean in, we trust, we do that hard work. But I think there's some extra steps we need to think about. And while I was preparing for this message earlier this week, I was thinking about a book that we use a lot in pastoral care. So a lot of my job in pastoral care is walking alongside people who are dying. And there's a book that a lot of us pastors use, and it's uh, written by a doctor. His name is Dr. Ira Bayak, and it's entitled The Four Things That Matter Most. And one of the things that struck me as interesting is in his introduction, he talks about that when you ask people, what are the four things that matter most when you're dying? Sometimes they come up with this list of to-dos like, well, you get the funeral arrangements and you better talk about medical arrangements and the wills and the trusts. But he says the reality is the four most important things to do when you're dying is to make sure you get right with all your relationships. And it struck me when I was thinking about this, why isn't that something we do in our day-to-day? And it's never a one and done, right? Because these things circle around and we enter different relationships. But why aren't we doing these things, these four most important things, to work toward reconciliation and restoration with our families and our friends? And so I thought I'd just share a little bit about what he says are the most important tasks when you're dying. And I think the most important task when we're living when we actually want to be in honest relationship with one another. And the first two things he talks about are the things I'm going to dig into a little bit, but I'm going to list them real quick. So he talks about the idea that you need to forgive one another. And then you need, the second thing is you need to offer forgiveness. And then he says you need to thank people. Make sure that you're showing your appreciation. And lastly, he says, offer love. Tell people you love them. Show them you love them. And those are the things you do when you're dying. I would say moving toward re- a redemptive relationship, I think those two first pieces are so important, certainly the last two as well. But as we're trying to work toward these broken relationships to, f- to mending those relationships, this idea of forgiving someone else is so important. And it sounds easy, right? but it's actually some of the hardest work that we have to do. We've all all been someone who's been hurt by other people. But asking for forgiveness is hard because the wounds run deep, and sometimes we think that we're justified, that what happened wasn't our fault, and that's why it makes it so hard to ask for forgiveness from other people. And then to offer forgiveness. Sometimes it's hard to tell someone that you forgive them when you don't think they even think they need forgiveness or that they never own their pieces. But I think at the end of the day, we forgive not for the other person, but for our own sake. Because it's in the forgiving of someone else that we're free, that we're free from our anger, we're free, it frees us from some of the resentment. And that's what allows us to move forward in healthy relationship. So those pieces, asking asking for forgiveness even when it's not easy and offering your forgiveness, those are two very tangible steps in mending those relationships. They let people know that you love them, that it's important to you. I think as I finish up here, I think for me, what Jesus offers here for us is this bigger picture of the kingdom of God. It's one that was already hinted at, actually, in the Beatitudes, because when he talked about blessed are the poor spirit and those who mourn and those that are pure heart, all those people, he was talking about them being blessed, not because they followed this list of rules, not because they always did all the right things. But he talked about them being blessed because of the inward orientation of their heart. And the righteousness of this kingdom of God that Jesus is presenting to us is not about following rules. It really requires us to lean into God, to surrender our lives to God. And to not just follow the law, but that it starts with the heart. It starts with the heart and it impacts the kingdom and it's done only with the work of the Holy Spirit. I was thinking a lot about Chris Nielsen this last week, one of our friends from this community that many of you know died suddenly back in November and one of Chris's favorite quotes was from C.S. Lewis, The Last Battle. And I thought about it as I was preparing for this message because here's the quote, I have come home at last This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all of my life, though I never knew it till now. Come further up and further in. I think that's what righteous living is. It's never perfect, but living the righteous life is this moment where we know that we're at home where we're truly at home. And I think that's the call. That's the journey we're on together. And that it's all about further up and further in. I wanted to end by saying that I don't think this is easy. The Christian life isn't easy because it always challenges us and calls us to be more. It actually calls us to be more than about ourselves, but to be about the other. And I think that's where we get all mixed up sometimes but the christian life it requires us to love greatly and forgive deeply and we can't do it alone and those two things and i always talk about the and both of everything is exactly what our lives are about is that this requirement to love greatly and deeply and forgive deeply it's hard that's the hard part but the hopeful part is is that we don't do it alone So during this season of epiphany, as we celebrate God with us, that's the beauty. God is with us. We're not alone. And he calls us to this beautiful, freeing, righteous life. Please pray with me. Holy and gracious God, we come before you and, oh gosh, we are broken people. And we stumble through life, God, and we look to you and we need the help of your spirit to keep our eyes on you. And you call us, God, to love well, to love you and love one another. And over and over again, we seem to get sideways and backwards with our family members and our friends. But as you call to mind for each of us, Lord, who that might be, who it is in our life that we might need to ask forgiveness from who it is in our life that we might need to forgive. God, give us the insight for that and then give us the strength and the courage to step into that, to step into hard conversations, hard but loving conversations, to work toward reconciliation, God. Because it's that, it's when we step into that, God, that we can experience this righteous living that you call us to. We need your help, Lord, and we love you, Lord, and we're so grateful for this community of people that you've placed around us that we can do so that we can do this together. So we thank you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: Thanks, Debbie. So as <clears throat> Debbie was speaking tonight, Debbie, I don't think you knew this, but you were preaching right to me. Um, can we be honest, yeah, for a second? So I, this is um, really timely for me. There's a conversation I've been avoiding. There is um, a relationship that is broken, and um, I shed some tears with my husband over it last night. And so I walked into this room not expecting to hear uh, such a timely message. But um, I need to have a conversation. And it's going to be really difficult. There's a wound that has been open that I've let fester. And I hope that I'm not alone. Because we, we all have those relationships that maybe aren't fully broken, but could use some, some conversation, some restoration. And it occurs to me, uh, because this is the time of our service where we're going to move into the time of communion, that the table is actually a table of reconciliation. It's the table that Christ set for us. And he said, look, we've been distanced, we've been apart, and this is the way that I'm going to draw you back to myself. I'm gonna use my body and my blood, and that is how I'm going to stitch this relationship back together. It's how I'm gonna close the wound. I'm gonna open myself up for you. And so as hard as it is for me to think about scheduling this conversation this next week, uh, I'm going to picture me and this family member sitting down across the table from each other, and I'm going to remember that Christ died for her, just like he died for me. And he's died for all of us. And tonight when we take communion, we're gonna remember that together, that this is the meal of reconciliation. Because Christ said, this is my body and it's broken for you. That whenever you eat it, I want you to remember me. Remember the sacrifice that I made for you. And in the same manner, he poured the wine into the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, my blood shed for you, for everyone. That's what's new about it. It's not just for a special group, it's for everybody. Because every, uh, every relationship is broken and every relationship needs reconciliation. So we're gonna invite you forward during the next music set, come as you feel led. We'll have three stations across the front. Gluten-free elements will be here in the middle and regular gluten-full elements on the sides. <laughs> Um, please come forward and remember that this is the opportunity that Christ has given you to be reconciled to him, and we invite you forward. Would you stand with me? We will pray the prayer that Jesus taught us together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts